You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Flip. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dad am. Merry, merry, merry Christmas. I uh, hope you guys are having a good day so far. Um, not going to do a super long episode, but, um, you know, it's a tradition to do a, a show on Christmas plus Packer day today, Christmas Packer Packer day. So let me, uh, we're not going to do like a themed thing or anything. We're just going to get right into it. L- let me just put something out there because I I'd love to go through the fact that, you know, the Packers actually have much improved odds in terms of you know, getting into the playoffs and whatnot. And by much improved, I don't actually mean as a percentage. What I mean basically is we're to the point where it's basically winning in. It's more likely that we do get the help that we need than don't get the help. We need one more Washington loss and we're, you know, we're all set. In fact, let me put it to you this way. There's a 90% chance if we win, we're getting in. But I'm not going to start doing backflips yet because the odds are actually still quite low. Um, forget all the help. For me, it just it really just comes down to today. I've played a lot of clips today or or, or this past week. It, it started off with everybody saying they don't have a chance. There's no chance against Miami. They beat some bad teams. What do you do? They can't beat actually competent teams. Miami's a competent team, um, if not a very good team. The Packers don't stand a chance. Plus, there's the whole thing where they can't win in Florida, which is completely made up. Um, but you know, it's a thing. But then you got some people coming around saying, you know, offense is a little bit improved. So surprisingly, the defense is somewhat improved. Here's where I'm at personally. If we win today, it's still a sub-50% chance that we get in. However, at that point, I think for the first time since, I don't know when, week eight, I'm not going to say I'll be a believer, because again, it's still not likely that we get in. But I'll at least be a believer that, you know what, this might actually happen. But before we start doing backflips, let's just get through today because I'm seeing a lot of, um, a lot of optimism for as much of a long shot as it's still. And and listen, it's for a couple reasons. Number one, again, Miami, Minnesota, Detroit. I cannot tell you which team is the best. I really can't. I will say I am very encouraged by Detroit losing to Carolina. Uh, that feels like that's a shoe that I've been waiting to drop for some time now, in terms of 
you know, things just catching up with Detroit because I don't think Detroit is that good. I mean, I, I know they're not. I know they don't have the talent. I've been saying that. They're winning despite the fact that they don't have any talent. And eventually that should catch up to them. Now, unfortunately, they play the Bears next week, so that should get them right back on track. But I'm hopeful that this is them just kind of having punched themselves out a bit. So with that, it kind of comes down to who's better, Minnesota or Miami. I know Detroit beat Minnesota, but that's exactly what I'm just explaining, is that Detroit's been playing well above their ability, and I'm hoping that that's kind of coming down a little bit. Minnesota obviously has their flaws, but they don't lose. And much like Miami, they've got the firepower to, to play with anybody. And so I can't help but feel like the next two weeks are going to be the biggest weeks, because not only does our offense need to be able to play shootout ball with Miami and Minnesota, But the biggest thing is we need to win shootout ball today. That is to say, our offense is going to need to put up some points and our defense is going to need to to kind of man up a little bit. But on the other side against Minnesota, it's a very similar game to Miami. They're a very similarly built team just with a worse defense, but still they find ways to win. Very, very, very clutch team this year. But again, win this game and it changes a lot of things, not just from a statistical standpoint, well, partially. But there's a lot more reason for belief. Number one, because now we just have to win two games and Washington needs to either lose one or the Giants need to lose two and we're good. But also the fact that we beat Miami, which is maybe the toughest challenge that we're going to have for the remainder of our three games, that's pretty important. It's also just a, a, a similarly, it's proof that the Packers can do it. Because the question is, what happens when you get into the playoffs? You're just going to get blown out by somebody else. Well, If you can win this many games in a row, including Miami, Minnesota, Detroit, down the stretch, you're a capable enough team to win football games. And and the problem is you look at it and say, yeah, well, these other teams are so much better than you. The Eagles and the Bills almost lost to the, well, not almost lost. The Bills kind of took it away at the end. But the Bills and Eagles really struggled against the Chicago Bears. Then I watched Cowboys and Eagles. And granted, the Eagles don't have their, their starting quarterback who really struggled against the Bears. But still, that show was that that game was kind of a disaster. We've seen the Vikings implode. Tampa Bay is not the Tampa Bay of old. So even if you don't think, well, the Packers still aren't that good of a football team, eh, who is? But again, let's just get through today first, because it's entirely possible that we spend all this time talking about the playoffs, 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 playoffs. Then we get beat by Miami. It's like, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> it was a very de- delayed finale to what we always knew was coming kind of thing, you know? Been expecting this since week six. Another thing that is kind of piquing my interest a little bit, um, on a schematic basis, based on, you know, looking at this Packers-Dolphins game, the Miami Dolphins are one of the few defenses that plays pretty heavy man coverage. Now, that's... Nobody actually plays a lot of man coverage. Everybody plays zone but more so than most teams. In fact, only two corners in the entire NFL have played more snaps in man coverage than in uh, zone. One of them is Darnay Holmes for the Giants. One is Keon Crossan for Miami at 50.2%. Now, the rest of the Giants and Dolphins corners are playing mostly zone, but still, from, from the standpoint of who plays it the heaviest, the Giants are clearly number one. Miami probably would be number two. New England maybe would be three, and then the Raiders, followed by, I don't know, Detroit. But here's the thing. 
We weren't super happy with that Giants game. We weren't super happy with the New England game. We weren't super happy with the Detroit game. On the flip side, one of the most zone-heavy teams is Dallas. The other most zone-heavy team would be L.A. In fact, Dallas and L.A. are probably, with the exception of probably Atlanta, Dallas and L.A. play zone more than anything. So just based on that, you could look at it and say, hey, the Packers do better against zone teams than man teams. But I'm not entirely sure that that is the case. Um, First of all, strangely enough, if you look at these corners that play heavy zone, the problem that they have is that they're not good at it, as weird as that sounds. But beyond that, the biggest thing is, if you look back at when we played those teams that played heavy man, what ability did we have to beat man? We really couldn't, at least in my estimation, not to the degree that we can right now. Christian Watson had a very, very limited role. Um, he, let's see, ran nine routes when we played the New York Giants, and I think that's a big part of it, being able to utilize speed against man coverage to neutralize man coverage. But even beyond that, if we just look at our wide receivers, are they better against man or against zone? Well, it's not necessarily the same for everyone, but if we look at the wide receivers that have played a somewhat prominent role in this offense, so um, that would be Dobbs, Cobb, Watson, and Lazard. Romeo Dobbs is the lowest graded receiver in man coverage, but he actually jumps from a 58.6 overall grade in zone to a 65.4 in man. He has 17 targets, 7 receptions, 92 yards, and 2 touchdowns, compared to uh, 23 receptions, 207 yards, and no touchdowns. Now remember, everybody's had more opportunities in zone, so the higher total numbers um, will obviously make a difference. But for example, yards per reception, 13.1 compared to 9 for Romeo Dobbs. Randall Cobb is the highest graded receiver we have in zone at a 70.3, but even he in man coverage has a nearly 76 overall grade. Um, In zone, 19 receptions, 225 yards. In man, uh, seven receptions, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Christian Watson, 63.2 receiving grade in zone coverage, 76.9 in man. He has 13 receptions, 129 yards, and two touchdowns in zone. He has 11 receptions, 240 yards, and four touchdowns in man coverage. And this is probably the biggest thing. 9.9 yards per reception while in zone coverage. In man coverage, 21.8 yards per reception, which kind of makes sense. Zone coverage kind of takes that. That's what the Rams did. They they took away the ability to throw the ball deep. Man coverage makes that a little bit more difficult. Lazard, finally, 65.8 receiving grade in zone, 81.4 in man coverage. Probably the biggest jump of anybody between zone and man. Alan Lazard which would make sense why he's vanished the last couple weeks, has been significantly better in man coverage as compared to zone coverage. 22 receptions, 270 yards, and a touchdown while in zone. 21 receptions, 325 yards, and three touchdowns while in man coverage. And interestingly enough, Alan Lazard, despite the fact that, again, man coverage is... um, used much less often than zone coverage, has been targeted more often in man coverage than in zone. That's not to say he's manned up against more often. It means that's when he's thrown to is when there's man coverage. Randall is the exact opposite. 62% of his targets are in zone coverage. So for number one, 
although Randall grades out very well in man coverage, if you were to guess who's going to get the majority of the opportunities, you're looking at Lazard and probably secondarily Christian Watson. Just a hunch, just based on what's been happening so far this year. But as much as I've been hoping for a Watson and Dobbs day, I can't help but think Lazard has a big bounce back game. Um, and, I, and I really think it comes down to that that trust thing. You got somebody in man coverage, even though he's not the fastest guy, he's not the best route runner. Rodgers trusts that if I put the ball where it needs to be at the exact right time, and, and I trust Lazard is going to come out of his break at the exact right time, he'll use that big frame and uh, we'll pick up a couple uh, quick yards here. But also, we, we it seems like at least early in the year, you know, back when there was a lot more man coverage, there was at least once per game where Rodgers would throw that deep shot to Lazard. You know, tight coverage. He's not open at all, but I'm going to trust that I'm going to put the ball just perfectly in that spot for him to catch it. And most of the time he did. Every single receiver has a higher yards per reception um, against man coverage than they do against zone. But Lazard is included in that at 15.5 yards per reception for Alan Lazard. It's higher than Randall Cobb and Romeo Dobbs. Anyways, let's look at uh, one more thing real quick. I like to make my uh, weekly prediction for the Packers game based on... um, looking at point totals and DVOA. I think it's just kind of a fun way of looking at stuff. Um, But the thing is, you end up with two different score totals. The first is, you look at the Packers' offense and defense. Offensively, the Packers are scoring 20.5 points per game. Defensively, they're allowing 22.4 points per game. Then you compare that to Miami's DVOA. So, for example, our defense allows 22.4 points per game. However... Miami, according to their DVOA, is 15.8% better than your average offense. So when you add 15.8% to 22.4, you end up with Miami scoring 25.7 points. If you look at the Packers' offense, 20.5 points, the Miami defense is 2.2% worse than your average defense. You add the 2.2%. Actually, I did that backwards. Miami's 25.9. The Packers would end up with about 21 points. So if you look at the offense, or if you look at Green Bay's point totals and compare it to Miami's DVOA, you end up with a score of uh, Miami 26, Green Bay 21. However, if you flip that and you look at Miami's point totals, they score 24.6 points per game, but they allow 24.6 points per game. And compare that to the Packers' DVOA, you see that the Packers' offense is 10.2% better than your average offense. Compared that to their poor defense, allowing 24.6 points per game, and you have the Packers scoring 27 and Miami scoring 25.7, let's call it 26. So either way, Miami's at 26. In both cases, in one, Miami is scoring 25.9. In the other, it's 25.7. You can round both up to 26. So my official prediction for Miami is that they score 26 points. Green Bay is the really weird one. Because again, on one hand, you have a poor Packers offense and a pretty average Miami defense leading to a pretty poor Packers offense, right? 20.5, it, it barely goes up to 21. On the other hand, you have DVOA or, or Football Outsider saying that the Packers offense is still outperforming and you have a defense that's giving up a lot of points, giving up nearly 25 and the Packers offense is 10.2% better than your average team. So if we assume Miami has been playing relatively average teams, that would put you at 27. You want to know what the tiebreaker is? I'll tell you what the tiebreaker is for me. Since uh, the Dallas Cowboys game when the Packers offense woke up slash Christian uh, Watson started taking a more prominent role, you know what the average point total for the Packers is? It's about 27 points. 
26.6 points per game. Now, if we just look at that and then add in their not super great DVOA, it puts them at 27.2, which is right at about what the other prediction is. So my official score prediction for this game is Packers 27, Miami 26. Anyways, I have to go upstairs and start making some cookies. You guys have yourselves a fantastic Christmas, and I will talk to you tomorrow, hopefully, for uh, Victory Monday. Also, please make sure you call in. Uh, I haven't done Packernet after dark the last couple nights because we haven't had any calls the last couple nights. I think I have one. So 608-501-0718. Give me your thoughts. If you can, peel yourself away. I know it's a holiday. I get all that. But uh, I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.